the other day in, in Texas, actually, I was driving, I was driving my in-law's car and they've got this cool feature in their car where it magnifies the voices in the very back seat. It's a van. And so if you're sitting in the front, you can hear what's being said in the back. And we were driving in there, Lindsay and I were in the front seat and the boys were in the back. And the other day, Noble, my four-year-old asked my two-year-old son, Foster, we heard him say, brother, can you see God? Can you see God? So um, Friday morning, well, actually Thursday night of this week, uh, Noble and Lindsay prayed for snow as they were going to bed Thursday night. And the first thing we heard Friday morning over the monitor was, God heard my prayer. God heard my prayer. Right? So God did a big thing for the faith of my son on Friday. I don't have the heart to tell him that every kid in Memphis was praying for snow on Thursday night, but we got it and it's, it's been good. We've had a lot of fun. If you've, um, if you've ever been to a car dealership, you've seen those inflatable men out front that, that they're kind of like, look like a big piece of spaghetti with arms, you know, the air blows up them and they, they kind of do this number. Okay. For some reason that makes you want to buy a car, right? All right. Well, now that you've got that image in your head, you know what it's like to try to put a jacket on a two-year-old, right? Like, as soon as you start that, they're just doing this, and uh, it does not make you want to buy a car, but you'd be willing to sell a child after trying to put a jacket on a two-year-old. It is, it is the worst thing in the world. So I, I know there was all these Instagram photos of kids out playing in the snow, and including we're, we're offenders in that category too, but nobody posted the hour they spent trying to wrestle jackets on their kids, right? Okay. So while we were in Texas, that same trip where we heard Noble ask if, if his brother can see God, my father-in-law says, hey, let's go to this Mexican place for dinner. It's enchilada night. And so since this is Texas and not Memphis, I'm like, yeah, let's go. All right. I want to go get some enchiladas here in Texas. And so I spent about 10 minutes trying to get jackets on my kids. It's really cold outside. And after about 10 minutes of this, I give up and I just throw them in the car and just plan on parking near the restaurant. Okay. I'm just no jackets. We'll just park near the restaurant. Okay. So we get in and apparently the $2 discount on enchiladas has brought everybody in Dallas out to this place, right? So the waiting room is just jam packed full of people. And when you're wrestling kids, you don't want to wait for dinner. But my father-in-law is like, we got to eat these enchiladas. So I'm pressed up against all these strange people that I don't know. And I've got one kid in my arm who's just wiggling and difficult to control. And the other one, because he has nothing else to do, is just punching me in the stomach just over and over again. And I'm convinced I've entered one of Dante's seven circles of hell, except, except that I can see chips and salsa. And I know those will only be in heaven, right? Those, I can see them, but I can't, I can't taste them. I'm like Lazarus and the rich man, just reaching out for the thing I can't have. Okay, so I'm pressed up uncomfortably close to this woman right beside me. And she's looking at me as I'm wrestling these kids. And she's got this kind of look of disgust on her face. I'm just waiting on her to say something. I don't know what it's going to be. I, I think maybe I've got like a booger or something like that. But she's just looking at me with disgust. And finally she says, where are their jackets? <laughs> and I'll, all I can, I, like in my mind, I begin to explain to her the whole thing about the inflatable man and car shopping and two-year-olds in hell, but, but the only thing that comes, the only thing I can say is, uh, their jackets, they're at home. And she says, well, goodness. She says, I had to put on two jackets, a scarf and mittens just to walk out the door. And I said, well, lady, they're going to be a lot tougher than you are. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I, I wish I had said that. In fact, all I could say was, oh, okay. And then I spent the rest of dinner thinking of all the things I should have said to her. 
And by the end of dinner, that's what I decided was the best. Lady, they're going to be tougher than you. So I thought about going and finding her to tell her that. But the enchiladas weren't quite sitting right, and my boys were shivering because they didn't have jackets on. Okay, this, this sermon isn't about vindictiveness. It's about Pentecost in Acts 2. But Pentecost is this moment where the early church is pressed uncomfortably close to all these people they don't know, okay? And only for, only for a moment, right? Uncomfortably close to all these people they don't know, like I was next to that woman. So they've got this chance to say one thing to all those people, like this woman did to me. And she went with, where are their jackets? All right, four words that, that ruined my dinner, right? Obviously I'm over it now, but that brief, <laughs> that brief moment is this reminder that what we say matters. What we say matters, especially when it comes to people we don't know who we're only in contact with, maybe for a brief moment, but what we say matters. Which brings us back to Pentecost. Let me, let me set the stage for Pentecost. Pentecost happens in Acts 2. If you have a Bible and want to open it up, you can. The text will be on the screen behind me. In Acts 1, the book of Acts starts with Jesus. But we're only around Jesus long enough in the book of Acts to see him carried up on the clouds, returning to heaven. But when he does, he gives the, the first believers a really special promise. And so in light of that promise, they all gather together in Jerusalem near the holiday of Pentecost, which is a Jewish holiday that brings people from far and wide to Jerusalem. Similarly, the early church gathers together and they come together to pray. And let's, let's pick up the story there. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And so after this, in light of that question, they, they think, well, maybe these folks are just drunk. You know, maybe they've had too much to drink. But Peter says, no, 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 it's too early for that. And then he starts preaching. He starts preaching. And after his sermon, we read this. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Okay, you've read this story before. Let, let, me, let, me, let me help us take a look at it by asking two questions of the text. The first question is, why does God choose to pour out his spirit on the early church at Pentecost in such an undeniable way? Have you thought about that before? Why does God choose to pour his spirit out on the church at Pentecost in such an undeniable way? I think that question's pretty easy. Proof, proof, right? 
We read in Acts 1 that Jesus spends the time from his resurrection to his ascension going around giving many convincing proofs that he's alive. Apparently, and we can, we can, you know, this makes sense logically. If God's going to do a brand new thing like resurrection in the case of Jesus, it helps the world if they have some proof. Jesus knows this. He's okay with it. He goes around giving proof that indeed he's been resurrected. And I think at Pentecost, God is doing a brand new thing. He's starting the church, right? God's new plan for the salvation of the world is the church. And so as proof that he is indeed invested in this whole project, the church, he gives the church a special gift, right? It's proof, proof to everybody watching. Yeah, God wants this to happen. That's the first question. That's, that's a little bit easier. Why does God pour out his spirit on the church in an undeniable way at Pentecost? But here's the second question. It's the one I want us to think a little bit more about. Of all the undeniable ways God could have chosen to pour out his spirit on the church. Why does he choose the gift of language? Why does he choose that gift? Um, so let me tell you a story. I was coming back from Papua New Guinea with Jimmy Atkins, one of our shepherds. Larry McKenzie was traveling on from Papua New Guinea elsewhere in Asia. So Jimmy and I had a layover in Hong Kong on our way back. It was an overnight layover, so we stayed in a hotel. And so at this point, we've been in Papua New Guinea for over a week, and I've been eating food that's cooked literally in the ground and um, served to me with people's bare hands. And so all I can think about that morning when I wake up in that hotel in Hong Kong is bacon and eggs. I don't know why. That's, that's all I can think about, bacon and eggs. So I get up out of bed, and I, I head downstairs to the little cafe at the hotel, and I walk up to the counter, and I begin to try to explain to the cook what the word scrambled means, scrambled. And you know, it's like one of those where they don't speak your language, so you just say it louder and slower. Scrambled, scrambled. Okay, and as I'm, as I'm saying that over and over again, and I hear behind me somebody say, hey, where are you from? Right? And hearing English in this foreign place, when for over a week I haven't been hearing much English, right? I just wanted to turn around and hug the guy, right? I didn't even know him. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. He's like, oh, is that right? I'm from Chicago. But do you know where Cordova is? And I'm like, yeah, I know where Cordova is. Get this. He says, my mom lives in Cordova. I met this guy in Hong Kong. I'm not lying. My mom lives in Cordova. And so I asked him the next logical two questions. Does she have a church home? And do you know how to say scrambled in Chinese? <laughs> like, okay, here I was with this guy. And we don't know each other. We live in different cities. He lives in Chicago, right? But he spoke my language in this place where no one else did. At least that's what it felt like. And immediately we connected. We were drawn together because language matters. What we say matters, especially with somebody we don't know, especially for somebody who feels out of place. When you get that, Pentecost makes so much more sense because God pours out this gift of language on the church at a moment when there are thousands and thousands of foreigners who are gathered in Jerusalem for this holiday of Pentecost. Thousands of foreigners from all these different places we just listed when we read Acts 2 who are just desperate for somebody to connect with because they're out of their element. They're away from home. They just want somebody who speaks their language. 
And so the first spiritual gift that God gives the first Christians is the very tool that they need to connect with those people who are thirsting for somebody to connect with them. Okay, suddenly these Christians and nobody else can speak their language, right? Right at that moment, just like this. It's important to remember they're not speaking some kind of heavenly language like Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. Remember all these foreigners look at each other and they say, how is it that each of us hears them speaking his own native language? Okay, so if proof was all that God wanted at at Pentecost, he could have made those early believers fly. That would have been good proof. You know, he could have made lasers shine out of their eyes or something like that. That would have been good proof. But that would not have helped the early church in their primary job, their primary job of connecting with others for the glory of God and so that his kingdom might be expanded. That's their primary job. And so it makes sense. It's proof that God knows what he's doing, that at the very moment, what they most need to connect with others is language, that that is the gift God gives them, right? And then as further proof that God knows what he's doing, because they hear their language speaking, because they suddenly connect with these people they don't know, all of these foreigners are willing to stick around and hear Peter preach this gospel sermon. And as they hear that, they're so compelled by what they hear that 3,000 are baptized that day, right? Proof that, yeah, sometimes God knows what he's doing, right? <clears throat> Let me give you uh, maybe two other ways of thinking about this. So I went to China with some of our um, ministry team and deacons and elders a few years ago for a a survey trip because we're going to launch a Chinese mission this summer. Okay. So we were there. And one of the things that we did was visit with different missionaries in China. Some of those were Chinese nationals and some were foreigners. So one of the guys that we met with is an American guy and he's probably six, four, real, real tall guy, sticks out in China, six, four white guy. And so we, we followed him and listened to him while he led these small discipleship groups of young Chinese people. He would sit with these people and they would study the Bible together. And he spoke flawless Chinese. At least that's what I've been told, right? Um, John Chen and Sam Liao, who went on that trip with me, said he's, he is the best Chinese-speaking American they've ever heard in their lives, right? He's just flawless Chinese. Okay, and the people that come to him for these discipleship groups come to him because he speaks their language, right? There's something about this guy who sticks out, who looks different than everybody else, but who can speak their language that is inviting to them. They, they trust him because he speaks their language. Okay, what those Christians studying with him don't know is that it took him 10 years to learn the language, 10 years. So he's got these supporting congregations who send him over to do mission work. And for 10 years before he really starts what we would typically call mission work, he's in language school, studying Chinese. And I think about the churches that were supporting him and how hard it was to hear for 10 years, not how many souls he'd saved, but how many vocabulary words he'd added, right? Okay, but now because he speaks their language, they trust him, they connect with him. Right? It paid off. We might say that, that he knew that the spiritual gift God gave the church at Pentecost in an instant wasn't going to come to him in an instant. He was going to have to work at it. 
But he knew if he did not cultivate that gift, his ministry was done from the get-go. He had no hope of connecting. Let me give you another example. I've been, I've, I've told you stories about this before. I go into the prison, local prison, Shelby County Corrections every week with Ron Way to do a Bible study. I've been doing that for a couple of years. And I'll tell you, I'm learning some new language in there. And I can't use all those words here. Okay. Um, but when I first went into that prison, I had a really difficult time connecting with those guys. And that is, even though we're both speaking English, our backgrounds are really different. The situations they're coming from are really different. And so I, I, I was going in there on Wednesday mornings to teach with kind of the same approach I had to teaching here at Wednesday nights, right? And so in many ways, I'm just speaking a different language than those guys are. It's really taken a couple of years for me to understand them and be able to speak to them in ways that matter to them. And because I understand them better, now when I go in there, I don't just stand there as we're milling around waiting for, for class to start. I'm able to go up and talk to those guys. I feel comfortable engaging them. And they feel comfortable talking back to me. Okay, that gift has been, has been learned. I didn't, I didn't get it at Pentecost, just like those early church believers did. It's just, it's taking its time. All right, let me wrap up with this thought. God has a lot to say in scripture about welcoming the stranger. We've looked at those passages before. <clears throat> at Pentecost, what God does is to give the early church the tool they need to welcome the strangers well. <clears throat> okay, here's what we know at Highland. We have somewhere around 40 to 50 guests here with us every Sunday morning. 40 to 50 guests. And I think people come to church for a lot of reasons. But I think if you were to kind of boil down to its essence, the reason that most guests come our way, it's because they're looking for somebody who speaks their language. Because for whatever reason, they have had some experience of God, the transcendent in the regular world. And because of that, the language those around them are speaking no longer makes sense. The vision of the world that the world is offering just doesn't make sense anymore. And they're thirsty for somebody who can speak to them in a language that will make sense of what they're experiencing. Somebody who will notice them, who will engage them, who will make them feel at home in a world where they no longer feel at home. I think that's what brings them our way. And I think for most of you, Highland is that place. Highland is that place. But our leaders want Highland to be that place for everybody who walks through those doors. For everybody you know, we want them to experience that kind of warmth and hospitality and welcome at this place that you have experienced for years and years. Because we believe if they experience that, that they might stick around long enough to hear the gospel preached and give their lives to Jesus for his glory but to do that, to welcome them, we've got to speak their language. So let me leave you with three principles that I want us to be practicing in 2018. The, and that I say that I want us to. These are actually principles that, that Chris developed, our staff worked through. I asked him if I could share them today as we launched this warmer series. Because the idea in this series is, what can we do to be the warmest possible place we can be? As a caveat, we didn't think 
entirely through planning the warmer series in January. That just probably wasn't the best move. But we do want 2018 to be this year where we're committed to warmth as a congregation. So here are three principles. They all use alliteration or rhyme. So they verge on cheesy. You're probably not going to get them tattooed, but I do want you to remember them. Okay. If you get them tattooed, I'd love to hear about it. All right. The first principle is to pray as you park. Pray as you park. Okay. This is really simple, but we think going to church is a spiritual discipline, which means you need to, pre- you need to prepare for it spiritually. You need to prepare for it spiritually. So what I'd invite you to do is you're driving to Highland as you're pulling onto our campus is to turn off the radio for a moment and pray that God will lead you to somebody at Highland who's a guest and will give you the words to say to them. Let me point out that in Acts 1, the first thing the church does is to get together and pray. Notice this passage behind me. The first thing the church does is all join together constantly in prayer in Acts 1. So when you read that in Acts 1 and then read Acts 2, you realize that the gift of language that God pours out on the early church at Pentecost is not random. It's in direct response to their prayer. It's in direct response to their prayer. So we want to invite you to be praying as you park at Highland on Sunday morning, that God will lead you to a guest when you're here and will give you the words to say when you're there and you greet them. Okay, secondly, and and remember these rhyme, they verge on cheesy a little bit, but they're good. We want each of you to greet somebody. We're calling it each one, greet one, okay? Uh, You've noticed at the doors over the last two Sundays and out in the parking lot, although we didn't have them out there today because it's just so cold, but we're going to have more greeters at all of our doors on Sunday morning. That's our hospitality ministry. I've been talking about that for a couple weeks. Let me keep talking about it for a few more and say, we need more people on our official hospitality team. If you feel like you, you are capable of standing there and saying hello and smiling, We could use you, okay? But we also want those peoples at the door to remind the rest of you when you see them that you should be greeting guests too when you come on Sunday morning, that it's not just their job. We want them to be a visible reminder that it is the job of each of us. So John Reed, he's a preacher in California. He came to visit us a few weeks ago, months ago now. And he gave us the 10-foot rule. Okay, it's real practical, really practical rule. 10-foot rule. Anybody who comes within 10 feet of you on Sunday morning, say hello to them. Okay, it's real simple. Real, I'm not going to get mysterious with you. Real practical. 10-foot rule. Anybody who comes within 10 feet of you, say hello and greet them. Say, hey, I'm Eric. Glad you're here. Hey, I'm Breeshan. No, don't say that. They're liable to run. Don't, don't, go with, don't go with that. Say, but Just say, hey, I'm glad you're here. Okay, that's all you got to say. Each one, greet one, 10-foot rule, practice that. And lastly, okay, the last principle we've got is don't go solo. Again, they all rhyme. Don't go solo. Here's the idea. Uh, We know that at Highland, our Sunday school classes are hubs of community, that a lot of community life flows out of our Sunday school classes. Well, it is really intimidating to go to a Sunday school class where people have known each other for a long time and are really tight when you're new. It just really is. Okay. And even though all those people in that class are fairly nice people, Even though they're nice people, it's intimidating because you don't know them. What we all know is it is easier to walk into a place with a lot of unknowns if somebody takes us in. So as you're looking for somebody to greet, as you're praying about that, as somebody comes within your 10-foot rule and you greet them, invite them to go to class with you. Don't go solo. And I, I, I think 
You may be surprised how powerful that one invitation, how powerful it is for, for you to introduce somebody, that one introduction to other people in your class, how powerful that will be in terms of their ability to stick at Highland, to stick around long enough to hear the gospel preached and give their life to Jesus. You may be surprised by how powerful that is. So I wanna challenge you to do that. Those are the three we wanna leave with you. Pray as you park, each one greet one, and don't go solo. I, I mean, if you wanna get it tattooed, okay, go ahead, all right. Really, we want you to be working on this in 2018. Listen, at Pentecost, God gives a spiritual gift to the church that helps them to connect with a bunch of people who are longing for connection. And in that regard, our world today is no different than the world of the early church. There are a lot of people looking for connection, looking for somebody who speaks their language. But to find that, somebody's gonna have to talk to them. I mean, that's what it boils down to. Somebody's gonna have to talk to them. And I hope that somebody will be you. For some of you, that gift won't come naturally. Some of you have the gift of gab. You can talk to anybody. In fact, some of you who have, have too much of that gift, okay? But, but others of you, it's really intimidating to talk to people. Well, you need to be praying about that. Don't let the fear that you might say something like, well, wear their jackets. I mean, keep you <laughs> from engaging somebody for the glory of God. Because you might be the person that connects with somebody who's on the end of the rope, right? Desperate for somebody to pull them back in. And your hello and your greeting might make all the difference in their life. And I hope that you'll pursue that spiritual gift this year in 2018. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, maybe you are a guest that's here today and you haven't given your life to Jesus. If you wanna be part of this faith family, I'd love to receive you down here at front. We can talk about baptism, we can baptize you today. If you like prayers with one of our elders, they'll be along the back there by those doors in the back. I wanna invite you to visit them for prayer this morning. Let's stand and sing together. You give life, you are love, you bring